and learning how to think higher or bigger than just the you know screen that I was focusing on, but learning about the business needs and the user needs that we'd identified, but why why were those important? And what are you know what are the opportunities for the business itself, not just the things that we can create? Um, I think a younger version of me was so focused on the actual screen itself, and you know making sure that that thing worked and was as intuitive as it could be. And over time, started to understand that that's just one manifestation of what makes your overall business successful. That's Josh Brewer, the co-founder and CEO of Abstract a platform for modern design teams to work together. Josh's career in design started off with teaching, but quickly led to him diving into the emerging web and mobile product design industry. He eventually joined Twitter, where he became a principal designer. What Josh is talking about is how the role of a designer has evolved over the last 10 to 15 years to encompass more business elements and strategic product decisions. This is a shift that is really embodied by Abstract and how it supports the modern design industry today. This is Hack to Start, a podcast that focuses on amazing people who have had an interesting story or perspective to share and their insights and how they got to the level of success they have today. I'm Tyler Copeland, and today we're speaking with Josh Brewer, the co-founder and CEO of Abstract, a new platform that enables design teams to work together. Josh joins us to share his story, how he got into design, what it's like working as a principal designer at Twitter, what led him to studying abstract, his advice on raising funding, how he thinks about the design industry, and much more. So let's get started. Hey, Josh, thanks so much for being on the show today. Ah, thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm extremely excited to be speaking with you today to learn more about you, your career in design, and what you're up to today with Abstract. But before we get into that, can you tell us a bit more about yourself? Where are you from and what did you study? All right, so where I'm from, uh, I grew up in a suburb of Seattle called Federal Way. My dad was from another town called Tacoma. So we kind of grew up in and around the greater Seattle area. And uh, eventually, after high school, I ended up moving down to San Diego. So those are kind of homes all the way until we moved up here to San Francisco. What did I study? Ironically, nothing to do with what I do today. Uh, I was a history major uh, and an art minor and uh, ended up actually out of college, not doing either of those and teaching at a private elementary school uh, where I started teaching technology to kids and to the teachers. Wow, that's really cool. So what led you from teaching to design? It was actually kind of funny uh, because the school was a, a private school and it was uh, definitely really trying to be geared towards technology and being forward thinking. They were an early part of the Apple Lighthouse program, which was kind of this notion of getting one to one laptop per child. And so, you know, this is around 2000. And I kind of picked up some of that work. And the more time I spent teaching and looking at these programs, the more interested I got in kind of like the kind of user experience and what it means to actually create digital products. And then after a little while, I was doing websites and, you know, kind of just doing design in my spare time. And then that spare time quickly became like, oh my God, I really enjoy doing this and made the switch pretty quickly to be able to start actually working in design. That's really exciting. So what was your early career in the tech industry like? And what were some of your first jobs after that initial experience? 
So it depends on the, the kind of like first few jobs in tech. I definitely did a lot of consulting early on, building kind of brochure websites and sometimes doing flyers and just all kinds of stuff that would come my way. But more and more became really interested in kind of web standards. And that whole side of the world ended up at one point kind of helping get a uh, CSS kind of like standards group going in San Diego. Uh, but like really slowly over time, it was, you know, being connected into the community, meeting some really great folks from the Ruby community. I mean, like the middle of the 2000s really kind of like dove me deep into like wanting to get out of doing consulting and, and kind of client work and getting into building products. So I'd say that's kind of like where I decided to get into the startup world both feet first. That's awesome. So can you tell us a bit more about your journey as a designer and how you created the opportunity to join Twitter and eventually becoming the principal designer? And throughout that experience, what were some of the projects you had a chance to be a part of? The journey to principal designer at, at Twitter was super interesting. I was really, really fortunate that Doug Bowman wanted to uh, you know, see if I would come over and, and join them. I was the director of user experience at a company called Socialcast at, towards the end of 2000. Actually, I guess it was fall of 2010. And uh, Doug and I had known each other for a while. And slowly over time, it kind of became clear that like I was solving a lot of similar problems. We had built kind of a, a uh, real-time activity stream for enterprise communication. So think, you know, almost like a Twitter or a Facebook, but for work, um, this is like, you know, prior to Slack uh, and all those types of tools. But at that time, it was, you know, we would sit down and have breakfast and talk about a lot of the same problems. And so was really fortunate. He asked me to come over and join him at Twitter, jumped in there, worked on several projects right out of the gate and, and was really fortunate at the time to be able to be a part of several early initiatives. The first thing I ever worked on was events, which ironically never really actually came to life at Twitter. It, it, you know, it had various incarnations over time, but the original vision for it, the technology wasn't there to build out the experience that we needed at the time. And so, uh, you know, one of my first big kind of scary moments there was going in with uh, Isaac Hepworth, who is the product manager on that project, and, and basically having to tell Dick that we needed to kill the project and reallocate the, the team to some other projects that could be building blocks for something down the road. I think it was probably three or four months in, I was a little bit nervous going into something like that. But it was amazing and actually kind of showed the type of CEO that Dick was. He looked at us and said, all right, like if you guys are telling me this, then I trust that and do whatever we can to fast forward this and, and push this so that we could actually go build this kind of experience. So that was great. Worked on a ton of different projects. Um, the big redesign in 2011, that was the uh, new, new Twitter. That was a big, big project that I had a hand in leading. And honestly, that whole thing was a massive concerted effort across the entire company. And, and to this day, kind of one of the craziest adventures I think that I've been on in my career. So from that time forward, I, I moved into the principal design role and really kind of spent a lot of my time working across several different teams and across different projects really kind of toward the last year or more, maybe even year and a half to two years that I was there, kind of the running joke became that I was the guardian of the tweet because part of my purview and what I was responsible for was the actual tweet itself. Um, tweet anatomy, how we expanded it, how we brought in new media and those different kinds of things and how it was represented in all the different timelines. Also not in timelines, like how are we representing this thing on news and in print and all those types of things. So you know, kind of a kind of a really awesome and mildly terrifying responsibility. Yeah, I can only imagine what it was all like. So based on all that experience and the roles you took on in the early phase of your career, what were some of the biggest lessons that you learned? Oh, that's an awesome question. 
I think some of the early lessons were that uh, the the closer that I could be to engineering, the better the result tended to be. And it's something that I've I've spent a lot of time in my career trying to develop and and kind of even champion in some cases. I've been pretty successful in a lot of spots, not so in others. But really, this notion of like that close collaboration and communication between design and engineering is kind of one of the things that I think is the magic in some of the projects or products that we use today that that I don't know exactly what to call it but it's you know traditionally it was like design did their job and then they literally handed it off to development and had nothing to do with it after that and what i found was as a designer i i i fully acknowledge that digital products are never done they are never that you never finish designing anything you you have milestones or checkpoints right and those are releases or versions of the product, but you're always going to be working on it. And once you've implemented that thing and it actually lives and people are using it and experiencing it, the closer your design and engineering folks can be to that process, the better. And the faster that they can communicate and the higher fidelity communication happens when trying to iterate on a product or in some cases fix an experience that that kind of like commitment to to stay in there and build it together and see it all the way through i think is a really big piece of that i think the other piece that i i'm really appreciative of my time at um, several of the smaller startups that i was at but really i kind of point back to both social cast and twitter as as really huge moments of uh, inflection for kind of learning how to work with uh, an executive. In Social Cast's case, Tim Young was the CEO at the time. And I worked incredibly closely with him to really kind of like draw out the stuff that was in his head and go execute and like design and build that thing. And learning how to think higher or bigger than just the you know screen that I was focusing on, but learning about the business needs and you know the, the the user needs that we'd identified, but but why why were those important? And what are you know what are the opportunities for the business itself, not just the things that we can create? Um, I think a younger version of me was so focused on the actual screen itself, and you know making sure that that thing worked and was in, as intuitive as it could be. And over time, started to understand that that's just one manifestation of what makes your overall business successful. So I think those are a couple of big big learnings I had. I'd say the the last one to just throw out there, and I'm sure there's many more if I just kept rambling, but one more w- worth mentioning is that scaling and growing your company is going to require everyone involved to be more flexible than they thought they could possibly be. There's several inflection points in the life of a, a company. You know, the first 10 people is a really interesting space. Going from 10 to, you know, call it 25 or 30 is another kind of like space going from like 30 to call it, you know, somewhere around 60, 75, somewhere in that range is another big leap. And it just kind of keeps going. And there's, you can probably talk to a lot of people. There's just these certain inflection points with size of human beings and the communication overhead that happens and the coordination required to keep that many people, you know, moving and working. And I I really found that the more you can be willing to just stay in there and be open and candid in, in your communication and really try not to assume that people are out to get you or to screw you over, but instead that like there's another perspective to any situation that you're currently in and doing your best to kind of like be there. And I mean, I'll admit it, I definitely have, I've had great moments of success in that area and I've totally blown it in others. And but I think it's it's a huge part of what makes this possible and what makes like a really effective team member. Wow, those are so many amazing insights. Thanks for sharing that. 
And I completely agree with the fact that a designer's job has really grown and evolved into more areas of business that really didn't exist 10 to 15 years ago. And as a product designer myself, I think it's a very exciting time and just the start of what designers will do moving forward. So it's really interesting to hear you touch on those points. Totally agree. Uh, I think it's it's fascinating. I've watched the industry grow up. I've watched several other peers and and kind of the next generation of design, you know, start almost on top of that pre-existing knowledge and that kind of broader scope to the work that we're doing is is really encouraging and more and more people being exposed to other parts of the business, right? And understanding what it is that you do and how it fits into the overall picture. It makes me really excited to see what happens to the companies and the businesses that are built in this kind of next generation. Yeah, absolutely. So on that note, and diving into the business side of design a little bit more, today you're the co-founder and CEO of Abstract. Can you start off by telling us a little bit more about Abstract and what motivated you to start it? Yeah, I can uh, I can definitely talk about that, probably ad nauseum. But um, wh- uh, what's Abstract all about? So, you know, at its core, it is bringing a version-controlled workflow to manage your files, to version the work, to increase the ability for parallelized work and increased collaboration is really kind of like the underpinnings of the whole thing. And a lot of this came out of my whole career and even more so at a company like Twitter where it just became so clear how badly we need something like this when you begin to scale a design organization. I was really fortunate. Most of my early career, I you know wrote front end, and so I was pretty comfortable switching over to terminal and using Git or Subversion before that. I knew that workflow. I knew the benefits of what happened when you're committing your work and you're having to leave commit messages to annotate kind of like chunks of changes, and the fact that you could merge work between two or more people. All of these things were so appealing, and really the tools as designers that we had were the handcuffs. Like it wasn't that nobody could imagine what a, a world looked like where design had version control. It was literally that the the files and the tools themselves were, you know, they're binary and that data is pretty impenetrable. And so why did we start building this? Well, part of it was my co-founder, uh, Kevin Smith and I, and Frank Camaro, who was our third co-founder and early, early part of the kind of like process and vision of this stuff. You know, we've been talking about design tooling and workflow and all these different things. And, and one day, Kevin really just looked at me and was like, why don't designers work like this? Like, why don't they have a, like, the ability to work like this? And, you know, some people might squint at that and be like, well, he's an engineer. He wants designers to just work like engineers. But the great part about Kevin is he's an engineer. He had been a head of product before that. He had managed a design team and just seen the process and how just messy and ad hoc it was. Um, And so he had a deep empathy for it, um, as well as being one of those great engineers that really has a ton of taste and worked closely with great designers in his career as well. So it wasn't like he was trying to shoehorn design into working like engineers. It was more that like there's a way of working that is really been validated as being very valuable. And we kind of joke about it. There's kind of like two versions of collaboration, the, the kind of Google Docs version and the GitHub version. Google Docs is everybody is in the same doc and GitHub is everyone's in the same doc on their own, but it can be brought back together. And I think there's a time and a place for the Google Docs kind of approach but I think by and large, for most people and most teams, and especially when you're in a distributed or asynchronous kind of environment, um, that ability to have multiple people in the same file, but on their own, 
and the ability to bring it together was a lot more compelling. There's also a lot of things that you can build on top of a system of record like that. And those were the things that got us really, really excited. But if I'm totally honest with you, you know, in the middle of 2015, when we were kind of first even talking about this, I just didn't even believe that it was ever going to happen. Like I, I figured, you know what, if Dropbox can't figure this out and GitHub didn't build it and, you know, Adobe's never done it, it's just never going to happen. Designers can't have nice things. So yes, I was probably being a little bit pouty, um, but I'd kind of resigned to it. And then, you know, Kevin went away for a little while and came back with a kind of a tech demo, a native Mac app. And he, he showed me, he imported a sketch file, he created a branch, he made a bunch of changes on that branch clicked a button and it merged them together. And I just like my chin hit the table and was like, all right, dude, are we doing this? You know? Yeah. I can only imagine the first collaboration experience after years of an ineffective workflow. It must've been mind blowing. Yeah, it was, it was definitely really exciting. I think the other piece of it was that he and I were both like hyper aware that we were probably biting off way more than we could chew. But I think the unknowns were you know, not scary enough to, to dissuade us. So we jumped in anyways. Uh, but yeah, it definitely is. It's wild. And it's been an amazing process kind of to get to where we are today. So what were some of the biggest challenges in transitioning from that demo to a scalable product? I think it, the, the, the reality was we had a finite period of time to go build this thing, get it out in front of people and validate whether or not a, is it technically possible? B, is it, useful enough that people would, you know, even tolerate it and see if B was true, could we make it easy enough or smart enough or good enough to get people excited about using it and actually move to working that way. And so, you know, we had a small team early on and in a lot of ways we were inventing things like very much looking at Git and the Git workflow and kind of what that enabled, but then also looking at design and the way that design is practiced and really trying to distill down like patterns and even best practices that we'd seen and heard from other folks and map those two together. And so, you know, the first six months was a lot of like, oh my God, brain melting, just like, how do we tie these pieces together? How do we simplify this in a way that it'll be approachable? How do we take something that's normally like five command or yeah, five might be too many, you know, a few commands in the terminal and make it a single button? Or in some cases, how do we obviate the need for the user to even think about some of these? And so we made some decisions, but we had definitely people early on that were like, why are you sticking with the, you know, get terminology? Why don't you just call it different stuff? And it was so funny to me because I looked at it as we have an opportunity to have a common language to talk about the way that we work and how that work gets done uh, with our engineering counterparts. And for us to come in and like totally replace all of those names and those words just didn't feel right. And some people have called us out because uh, we don't call them repos. We call them projects. And a lot of that was because a repo is just a big empty box and a project is just a big empty box. But when it comes down to the things that have a bit more semantic meaning, like committing and branching and merging and those types of things, uh, we wanted to kind of stay true to it. I think building it and like getting the technology right or right enough, you know, as it were, was a big, big thing. We were very fortunate. Alan Johnson joined us 
really early on and ended up writing our entire Git infrastructure and backend just in a, an amazing effort uh, on his part. And, uh, you know, just a handful of people early, early on, just really kind of digging in and, and in places where, you know, you're having communication challenges, figuring out ways to communicate and work effectively. You know, those are definitely the things that we ran into. Stuff took way longer than we thought in some cases, because like I was mentioning, we, we were building so many things and so many pieces that needed to be right in order to kind of, in order to be able to piece them all together. We had to build all the initial primitives and building blocks and get those right. And the great part was we had some really great people around us that were willing to be guinea pigs. And so we started getting people in super early and just playing with it, using it, giving us feedback. We had uh, a small team at Lending Home who was really amazing. John Intratter, who was their leading design at the time, was kind of a giant champ and decided that he would be willing to get his team working on it even when it was like pre-alpha. And the feedback that we got from being close to them and having them using it was like invaluable and really cemented our belief in a customer driven way of validating the work and, and trying to stay as close as we can with our customers. So Yeah, absolutely. So on a similar note, as you were building the product, you guys also took some time getting the product out there at first with very limited invites. So can you actually walk us through, you know, launching with that approach? So it's funny to anyone who's listening who felt like they were being neglected and left out. We are so sorry. It was a really interesting process for us. We knew that we had a lot of the core in place that we thought was valuable enough but we knew we had more to build. And so in, in order to figure out like whether or not this was actually going to work, whether or not we could scale it, and whether or not like teams would really be ready to jump into a workflow like this, we needed to get a number of people from all kinds of different teams and companies. You know, we had a few small freelancers. We had folks at agencies. We had folks in small startups. We had folks in big companies. We were really like really fortunate to have an incredible amount of interest and curiosity from the community. Our wait list was constantly blowing our minds of just like how many people were seriously interested in this. And it was motivational in a lot of ways because we'd be building stuff and if it broke for somebody, it was like, oh my God, like that's not okay. We got to get on that. And so it became a really great catalyst for us to push harder on some of the things and, and make some of the things even better and even faster. The alpha invite process, so most people would never know this in a million years. It was basically me every week. And early on, we were like, okay, can we, can we invite like 10 people this week? Okay, cool. I invite 10 people. And then like some percent of them sign up. And then the next week, it would be like, okay, can we do 20? And then it would be, okay, this week, can we do 50? What happens if we do 50? Okay, well, if the acceptance rate is, call it 50%, we know we can handle that. Okay, let's do it. Fortunately, our response rate was way higher than that. And we kind of hit an upper bound where it was like, oh my God, we can't grow too much faster. And then after a little while, we were like, oh no, we can. And then we started letting in big batches of folks as we were moving towards launch. And we really had the intention of like everyone that was on the wait list would get in like a month or two ahead. And unfortunately, it just didn't happen. As, as it goes with startups, uh, you know, screwing the last screws in right as the plane was about to take off. And so that's kind of how that all landed. That's amazing. I think it just speaks to the community as a whole and how everyone just gathered around the product as it was launched. So how do you guys see your own place in the design tool industry when Abstract first launched? 
No, I appreciate that. Yeah, that was one of the most validating things for, I think, the whole team was just to see the response. And it was really, really humbling. We count it as a privilege to be able to serve this community and to be able to hopefully improve the way that teams are working and the way that companies are, are valuing design and starting to understand how design is done and practiced. And, you know, one of our missions early on was we kind of wanted to be platform agnostic. We were actually friends with a lot of the people that are building a lot of the tools today and have tremendous respect for the work that they're doing. And so in a lot of ways, what we wanted to do is come in and be a neutral third party that said, hey, if you're a designer, we believe that you should be able to work this way. You bring your tools. We will work to make sure that we can support them. We started with support for Sketch. We thought we were going to be able to get much further into another format faster. That has turned out to be more of a challenge than we thought. Not that we can't, more that uh, Sketch has been moving so fast and has done such great work over this last period. And as we've grown and scaled the product, we have just a lot of surface area. But ultimately, our goal is if you're a designer and you've got a tool, you should be able to bring it to abstract and make sure that you know the file management, the version control, and to whatever degree you want to take advantage of the collaboration aspects is available to you. And so it's been really amazing to be in this community, building a tool for this community. People are very vocal. And I say that in, in a very positive way. Um, when things are broke, they let us know. When they think it can be better, they let us know. And the good news is almost every time we're like, Yep, that, yes, that can be better. And, and so we take that feedback really seriously. And we're trying to, you know, do more and more getting out, starting to do some more meetups and spend more time out there with the teams and the folks who are, are actually using the product. And one of our big missions this year is really continuing to connect the community. Some of the fun things that we've seen is bringing groups of people together and kind of just stepping back and letting them talk to each other. Like, oh my God, how do you manage this? And how does your team set up that? And like, we get to kind of be this fly on the wall observer and hear how they're thinking about these things and how they're approaching it and watching them like give each other and feed each other new ideas that's always been one of my absolute favorite parts about being a designer and being a part of kind of a collaborative process so we, we just feel really fortunate to be able to continue to serve this community amazing i'm definitely looking forward to seeing how the community and product continues to evolve over the next year yeah me too for sure so over the course of building the product you've been able to raise 8.2 million in funding so what was that process like for you? And what advice would you have for others who are looking to raise themselves? That is a very good question. Um, I will start by saying I was very cautious. I've been in venture-backed companies for a long time. I'm very aware of the way that VC works and the way that this industry kind of goes. And I also don't I don't think that that money is just lying around and, you know, it's actually somebody's pension fund. And so I took it really, really seriously when we went out to raise our seed round. It was a little bit crazy because we raised it on a tech demo and a vision. And so what I would say to anybody starting out is I would never recommend doing that. <laughs> Um, unless you really, really feel like you can, can get it there. We were very fortunate that our lead investor in the seed round had literally been doing research in this area. She knew me and had known my career and reputation, but she had been looking for something like this. And so I feel like very, very serendipitous for us. But it really, it made it challenging for us, which meant that like from day one, we went from like zero. Right. Like we literally started, you know, when the money hit the bank and we we're okay, here we go. 
Whereas I think, you know, in, in a lot of other cases, there needs to be some level of proof that there's something there. And I think even for my own stress level and everything, getting to the point where you yourself know that there's something there is probably a, a, a healthy place to start from. But hey, if you've got the, the vision and you believe that you can put the team together to do it, and it's actually a problem that is worth solving, there's going to be people out there who want to potentially put money behind it. So don't let me dissuade you. I'm just saying it definitely is not how I would prescribe it to anyone. Yeah, absolutely. So transitioning to a bit of a hot topic right now, where do you see the future of design tools heading? And are there any more opportunities in a designer's workflow that remains to be addressed by platforms like Abstract? That's a really great question. Super loaded, as you mentioned. Well, I think one of the most interesting patterns that we're watching is that some of the tools that have sprung up around the primary drawing tools, kind of in the prototyping space and even in some of the other ancillary uh, roles, are slowly being kind of like absorbed into the drawing tools themselves. This is unsurprising to me. This is kind of how this type of stuff tends to work. Um, there's a lot of patterns pre-existing that, that talk about how this kind of thing happens in an ecosystem. And I think in some cases, it's a really, really good thing. This notion of your, your drawing tool also being the same environment where you're prototyping, I was dying for anything like this 10 years ago. It would have literally saved so much time and energy. A lot of folks, uh, myself included, you know, would use things like Keynote or just good old HTML, CSS, and some JavaScript in order to build out something you know, to prove the, the kind of interactions and those types of things. But like a tool that allows you to be exploratory and free form in the kind of like uh, layout and visual phase, but also simultaneously c connect it together and make it so that you can actually test it is insanely powerful. Um, piping real data in there is something that I've been championing for a long time. It's the fastest way to like sober yourself up and think you're really amazingly hot like layout didn't account for German words. And so it totally breaks, right? So the faster you can get real data into your designs, the more answers you're going to have and the more edge cases you're going to be able to solve for. And so we're seeing these tools pull these together. And I, I think it's actually the better for all of us, right? Like the level of competition right now means that everybody's having to bring their A game and the designers doing the work are actually the beneficiaries of all of this, right? So whether you're using XD or you're using Illustrator or Sketch or Framer or whatever, it doesn't matter, like whatever tool you're using, if you can get the job done, that's fantastic. I think we're still in an era where we're kind of being forced to like, pick one tool and teams have to pick one tool and organizations have to standardize on one tool. And if anything, I, I would love to see it be a world where, you know, there is a more open and, and interoperable file format that, that means that like as a designer, if my team, if half my team really desperately wants to use a certain tool and the other half wants to use another one, why do we have to live in a world where those two things are completely separate and can't be kind of like shared across. It's a little bit dreamy, I know. And a lot of people have talked about it, you know, with starry eyes for a long time. But I think we're kind of in a spot where either we're going to allow ourselves to go back into a siloed world and have these kind of like big monolithic silos. And, you know, you kind of like pick one or, or none. I, I just, I don't love that idea. And so, you know, we want to continue to invest in uh, things that push that forward in being able to work as closely as we can with all of the different tool makers and See how we can actually just push the industry forward as a whole. Yeah, you've covered a lot of things that I know both myself and other designers are talking about on a daily basis. There are always all those articles online about what tools you should use and why. So it's really cool to see that approach you're taking. So on that note, what's next for Abstract in 2018? 
So we are actively working on our developer handoff features. There's some the inspect features currently in beta with some teams, and we're hoping to roll that out soon. Assets will be following on the heels of that. We're also deep in the work on what we call review requests. You can imagine what that might look like. And that's definitely uh, something that, like you were mentioning, is part of the process and finding more and more ways to simply capture and formalize a little bit of the process so that there's record and that there's an accountability there, all while actually trying to allow designers to have the answers they need when they need them to be able to keep doing the work. So those are a couple of things. Uh, we're, we're underway working on uh, some of our enterprise features as well. And then a bunch of other stuff under the hood that we're uh, pushing on pretty hard. Uh, working on XD support up next. And gosh, yeah, working on uh, potentially some integrations and things like that. So a lot, a lot of fun stuff ahead of us this year. Yeah, that's awesome. I can't wait for this next chapter to the story and to see what else you and the team come up with. Thank you so much. So as a way to cap off our incredible discussion, do you have any last thoughts or words of advice to leave with us? You know, honestly, if there's anything that I could put out there and that you could take away to kind of wrap this up is, you know, we have a value here at Abstract of being willing and curious. I think those two qualities are, are, are things that I've always looked for in great designers, in great collaborators, in friends. And that willingness and that curiosity allows you to kind of like explore the things that you might not normally have explored and open yourself up to new perspectives and new ways of seeing and thinking. And I have just found repeatedly in my life and in my career that that's one of the most magical things that you can do is is pulling on either of those and sometimes both at the same time, either, you know, those levers of willingness and curiosity. And I think that we're in a spot just globally and with the, the situations that are happening in the world today where that can actually propel us forward, where we can actually be able to hold multiple perspectives without judgment and to be able to hear one another in a way that we haven't before. Some days you're just, you know, behind your computer and just doing the work and it doesn't seem like things are moving, but it really is those just small moments being actually kind to one another and and genuinely being open and curious. I just I just believe that that's how we make progress as a people. Wow, what amazing way to wrap up the episode. Josh, thanks so much for taking the time to speak with us today. Uh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on. If you've enjoyed this podcast, we'd love to hear about it and have you share with friends. Find us on Facebook or Twitter at hack to start or drop us an email, pay at hacktostart.com. You can also subscribe to avoid missing any future episodes by finding Hack to Start on Apple Podcasts. Breaker Audio, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening.